This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey guys, it's Lane with the Simple Passive Cash Flow Podcast. Please go to iTunes and rate the show. It really helps us uh, build a bigger following so that we can uh, find other people just wasting away at their desk and uh, finding uh, find what they really want to do once we get them past the streams of income and, and into real estate. Overwhelmed by the amount of stuff is on Simple Passive Cash Flow? Don't know where the heck to start? Go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash start to sign up or text the word SIMPLE to 314-665-1767 for the curated course to get you up to speed on the past two years of content. Again, join the free web course, The Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow. Go to Simple Passive Cashflow backslash start or text the word SIMPLE to 314-665-1767. Today, I've got uh, Michael Blank on the line. Hey, Michael. Hey, my, hey, Lane. How's it going? I'm good. So Michael has a podcast, Investing in Multifamilies, that I was one of the first podcasts that I listened to that really kind of changed my thinking into going to bigger and better things. You guys can check that out at themichaelblank.com. But uh, today, I'd like to get to know him a little better on the line here, and, and I introduce you to him. Uh, so, Michael, how are you, uh, what kind of business are you guys running today? You guys got the multifamilies. Let us know how much, how big of a portfolio you guys are controlling today. Because I know on the website, it always seems to be uh, out of date. <laughs> yeah, it's always out of date. What's most exciting is that uh, we partner with our students now. And so, almost exclusively, the deals that we're doing are through uh, student deals. We closed on a 69 unit in Memphis in April. We did two other deals uh, since then, also in Memphis. We are about four weeks away from closing on a 321 unit. Also in Memphis, we have a 158 unit in Oklahoma City under contract. And we have about 900 units that we are currently negotiating, either an LOI or in contract, and really nationwide. And that's really exciting. Uh, we created a, an equity company called Nighthawk, where I have a partner and we collectively control over 2,000 uh, units uh, through that. And we're, like I said, the pipeline is pretty, pretty enormous for that. I'm really excited because we're helping people do their first deal through this uh, deal through this program. Yeah. So Michael, a lot of the people listening to the podcast are still dabbling in the single families and taking that next jump into the multis. But I'd say like, you know, maybe 50% of, of them are kind of still on the fence. So maybe take us back to what I call the Han Solo moment. And if you're a Star Wars fan too, you know, Han Solo and his buddy Chewbacca were just cruising at the bar and then they crossed paths with Luke and Lan. Their lives took a pivot. I mean, take us way back to maybe when you were a, a W-2 engineer. What kind of started you off on this journey? Yeah, so my start was a, was a little different because when I left my W-2 job, I had a lot of money in a bank due to a software IPO. And that, uh, that frankly gave me just enough rope to hang myself on, right? So here's, here's what I mean by that. So at the end of my career, I, had, I was, uh, it was in 2004, I, I read the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. And I, you know, I thought I was pretty smart up to that point. And I was like, God, I'm such an idiot. You know, here I thought, you know, it's not how much money you have in the bank or even how much money you make. It's how much passive income you get. And, and it completely threw me for a loop. And my plan was really at the time to be the CEO of a software company. And that's kind of what I was working towards. And I even was offered a couple of positions for that, which was very exciting. But I was like, you know, I went through this, this, the software uh, startup cycle, uh, spent eight years at, the, at this company and it was very exciting but it was so much work and the probability of, of a public offering or even a sale is so remote. And I had plenty of people since then, they just went 
out of business, right? So I didn't want to work the 60 hours a week again. And, and the idea of, of taking my money and turning into passive income was really, really attractive to me. So I said, look, I'm just going to full bore. I'm going to quit. I'm just going to live on my savings because I have, I have money, live on my savings. And I kind of did what Kiyosaki outlines in a book. It's basically real estate, uh, cash flow businesses, uh, investments that make passive, uh, passive income. So I did basically everything at once. I, I learned how to trade stocks and options. I made passive investments with some guys at the local RIA who subsequently lost everything that I invested with them. Uh, I, uh, on my pa- cash, cash flow business, I invested in a, Z pizza, uh, in a, in a pizza franchise. And, uh, and, and my big plan, Lane, at the time was the restaurants. It wasn't real estate at all. Uh, because I had met a few franchisees uh, from a different concept that says it costs this much to open, you're going to hire an experienced multi-unit restaurant operator, and, and your job is to sit back and count the passive income. I'm like, sweet, that's exactly what, what I want. And, uh, and so that's essentially what I did, and that was my big idea. So I figured I had enough to maybe fund three, four restaurants, and then it would cover my living expenses, which I controlled at the time. And I had a 20-unit expansion plan. And that was my big idea. That was my retirement plan right there. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, it worked for about five years. And then it stopped working. And it's, it, it got so bad, Lane, that I ended up losing 95% of my net worth through that experiment. It was a very costly experiment. Wow. Was that, a, that was- like, a, a, like a mentorship group? Was it like a legit you know, group that you paid into and they coached and trained you through that? No, no, I was the entrepreneur. No, no, it was all me. There was one of the main, main mistakes I made is I did not have a mentor in this. Uh, I I thought I was pretty smart myself. I had lined myself with a a very experienced uh, restaurant guy. And frankly, this was not a reflection on him at all. It was was simply a reflection on the market and and the concepts on the franchise itself. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. The point is, while I was doing this, I also got into real estate. And, and of course, I got into flipping houses. And I also did, took an apartment building boot camp back in 2007 and six. And I spent probably nine months uh, working and marketing in Texas. I got verbal agreement on a 82 unit in College Station, Texas. And I had probably looked at 150 deals in that point. I mean, I really worked at Lane like six hours a day. And uh, finally got a verbal agreement on this thing, was about to sign the LOI. And I was like, darn it, I, I'm not going to be able to do the restaurants and this thing at the same time. So I put the whole real estate thing on hold because at that point we had three restaurants. We had built two and bought one and we were about to pursue a fourth. So, I mean, there's stuff going on, right? So I was like, man, I can't be doing this thing in that. So I put the whole thing on hold until 2009 when I thought the best thing to do at the time was to flip houses. Uh, I had none of my own money at that point because it was all deployed in the restaurants. I hadn't lost it at that point yet. Um, but the only way I could get into flipping houses was to raise money. And that was the first exposure I had to raise money. And it was a huge light bulb moment for me that I could do stuff without my own money. Uh, and we, you know, we really built up a business. I had a project manager or assistant and, you know, we were buying two houses every month. We flipped 30 houses in about, you know, two and a half years to really take advantage of that, you know, post, uh, post recession market that then dried up. And then I kind of lucked into, not lucked, but got into a, 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 my first uh, apartment building in 2011 as well. Um, and it, again, it wasn't really part of my strategy at the time. I, just, I was just flipping houses really. Uh, and then, you know, and then stuff started happening with the restaurants. And I was like, my gosh, this, you know, what, what, that's kind of when you, when you said earlier, you know, really be clear about what you want. And, you know, the restaurants weren't, weren't working right. The, the stocks and options was a lot of work, you know, made some money, not really that interesting. We'd had a short sale negotiation company for a while, a lot of work. And, uh, you know, the house flipping actually made great money. 
house racing was great, but it was all work. I mean, it was all, even though I had a team in place, it was, it was all work. And so the only thing that had mailbox money was really the, the apartment buildings. And at one point I was like, you know what, I got, I got to change my life. <laughs> and that's when I, you know, I started focusing exclusively on multifamily and like you started blogging about it. And I blog started blogging around raising money and about multifamily. And it kind of, kind of went from, went from there. So today, all I do is, is do multifamily deals and help other people do the same. You know, you really remind me of a lot of guys I talked to um, when, you know, they, they bought the single family homes, they're maybe getting to double digits, but they have some kind of, some kind of trick that they're doing. Like they're going on Facebook marketplace and finding lease options there. And they're able to sign a few of them without getting to that dealer status, or they're doing the out of state burr strategy. But you know, it, it's kind of funny to see that you, you got past that. You got past that shiny object that was, you know, stuff, stuff like that. We all know it's not, not everlasting, but then you kind of, push through and you went to multifamily. Do you remember what, what it was in particular? Cause I flipping houses was making a lot of money and was there a particular day or something that happened that maybe you definitely said, no, I got to put that stuff down even though it's making money. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sometimes you do stuff and I, I interview a lot of people on my podcast who go through a similar journey. We do stuff, we have some success with it. And at one point you wake up and you kind of, you kind of, I, I, I tend to reflect a lot. I, re, I try to reflect each day, you know, what, what happened that day? What am I grateful for? What, you know, what can I do better? What did I learn today? And so I got more of a habit of doing that. And, uh, you know, for a time we got, we were so busy with the house flipping stuff. It was simply execution, just execute, just execute, execute without too much reflection. And as the market started to slowly changing and that's when I started reflecting, right? So it was, it was really like, well, what do I really want? Right. And it became clear to me that, well, number one, I probably, if I really want to continue flipping houses, it would continue to being a lot of work, which didn't really appeal to me. And that's also around the time when the restaurant started taking a nosedive, starting to take a lot of my attention. So I, I couldn't really continue flipping houses. And that's when I became more clear about what I want. I really want passive income. Now there's clearly nothing completely hundred percent passive, but multifamily is a dart is the closest that I have seen. And, and, uh, it was the, the, the thing that just kept, kept sending me money and the valuation kept going higher. And it was one of those things where I spent 30, you know, 30 minutes each week talking to my property manager and it would just kind of continue operating. Even though we had some serious challenge in that particular building in the beginning, it just righted itself after, after a while. And so I just kind of went, look, look at all the things I've done, Michael. And I was like, what is it? What activity do you really enjoy? And from a business perspective, it became very clear that it was multifamily. And from an activity perspective, it, I became clear that uh, I really enjoyed teaching. And so that came out of the whole blogging experience. It was very fulfilling for me. And so the ability to combine the two together really has been very uh, satisfying for me to be able to continue doing deal because I'm an entrepreneur and I love the art of the deal, uh, but I also really enjoying helping other people shift their minds and do things that maybe they don't actually know or think they can do themselves. Right. Right. I think, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I talked to someone yesterday and he was saying, well, you're, you know, you're an engineer. Do you ever like journal or meditate? And, and I said, you know, in the, initially I, I, um, you know, I thought it was a bunch of oogity boogity, right? Like, but I, I get the hunch that, you know, you, you definitely reflection, definitely steered you the right way in this, this uh, instance. Well, well, most people don't reflect. We, well, most people tend to drift through life. Just, and I drifted probably until I was 34 years old. I think uh, 
I didn't start acting intentionally probably until Rich Dad Poor Dad right around that time when I started reflecting more. And most people, and this is typical of people that go to the RIA meetings each month, right? Everybody's sitting there, 100 people sitting there every single month. And they're there. Why? They're there because they want to quit their job with real estate. That's why they're there. Why would they spend their Thursday evening there for two hours? Because they want to quit their job. But they're not clear about what their strategy is going to be. And most people, they're not clear that the single family house strategy that they're contemplating will actually get them to quit their job. Just people, they don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't do the math, right? They don't do the math. And I did the math one time. It's like, you know, if I can get a, ha- a house to cash flow $200 per month, which is a stretch, right? If I can do that, I'm, I, to, to get $10,000 per month in income, I need 50 houses. Holy cow. It took me three years to flip 36 houses. You know, it's going to take me five to 10 years to, to accumulate that. And it's going to be a boat ton of work, right? So I'm like, well, that's not going to work, but everybody sitting there thinks it's going to work. I don't think they've actually thought through this stuff. And then you talk to them about, you know what? I got a better, I got a better solution for you, Lane. You want to hear it? And like, yeah. Apartment buildings. They go, yeah, yeah. I heard that before, but, but this is kind of an advanced strategy, right? I mean, I, I I'm thinking I, I maybe get a, you know, a, a 10 years of single family house experience, save some money up, build some equity, and then I'll get into apartment buildings. And so they're making the decision based on what they think they know, but the truth is those are myths. Those are actually not true because the truth is you don't actually need experience and you don't need your own money either. Uh, and, and I'm just really excited about teaching about this because when I'm done, people kind of go, wow, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know this techniques existed. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know. And now that I know it kind of, I'm not saying you should, everybody should do multifamily, but at least now you have a, the basis for a more intelligent uh, decision on whether you should or shouldn't pursue a single family house strategy. I totally agree with you on the whole drifting thing. And if you've read the if people have read the book uh, by the guy who wrote Think and Grow Rich, but Outwitting the Devil is a good one. He talks about how That's funny. People- no one's read that except you and I, but that was fascinating. And he used drifting as the predominant theme through that. And even though it was written in sometime early in the, whatever, 1900s or whatever it was, it was so relevant. Uh, and it, it actually is a good book because uh, because that is, I wouldn't say the devil's tool, right? But it's like the thing that keeps us from living an intentional life, that keeps us from living from a life of purpose is drifting. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's exactly right. That's, that's actually when I first uh, uh, kind of heard that word drifting is through that book. And it's kind of funny. We had this uh, random person just jump into the room here, but what a good way to uh, illustrate pulling your head out of your butt and, and uh, be conscious in what you're doing <laughs> instead of going into autopilot mode. I recently came back from kicking the dirt in the high elevations in Panama, the site of the investment I am proudest of in my personal holdings, which is Turnkey Coffee Farmland Parcels. Coffee, cash flow, and a legacy investment with turnkey management. Go to Simple Passive Cash Flow backslash coffee to get a parcel in your mind before the whole mountain is gone. So Michael, what's your uh, current two-week experiment that you're working on and maybe a larger six-month project? Tweaking with things changing things, you know, cause everybody's trying to kind of working on different stuff and, you know. Yeah. My, 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 I'd say my six month experiment, uh, working on is, is how to, how to, um, make our deal desk better. Uh, am I, I think from based on what I know, this is the only program in the world that actually partners, uh, does offers multifamily joint ventures with, with others, with students. And there's a process that we, that we launched early in the year, uh, and that we have been honing ever since, but it's, compl- it's complex because every time a student brings in a deal, we want to keep that student involved as a general partner so they can, so they can build a track record, so you can gain the experience. 
So the next time around, uh, maybe they don't need us anymore or they need us less, right? It's really getting them into their first deal because I know that if I can help someone do their first deal, the second and third will follow in rapid, almost automatic succession. It just happens all the time. So I, I'm looking for all for different ways to getting people in their first deal. But on the other hand, it, it's, uh, it presents uh, uh, challenges, right? You're dealing with multiple people, uh, some who are more competent than others, some who are more motivated than others, some who have strengths than others, but you're, yet you're expecting them to perform due diligence. You're expecting them to, to provide asset management uh, once it closes. So you're, you're expecting a lot, but sometimes they don't deliver, right? So how do you, how do you deal with that? Now you have an asset, you got to manage it. How do you normalize that, right? So it's really on, on our side is how do we scale this program up? Because now, you know, we're about to have 700 units just out of this, this program alone. And we have a pipeline of like another thousand units. I mean, I got to think about building a team around this thing properly, right? And so that's kind of our experiment. It's, that's not really been done before. Uh, so we're kind of off in, uh, you know, in, in, you know, I don't know, blue sky area here. So really studying how other people have scaled this rapidly and quickly. Uh, and so I'm a little concerned about, about that. We, on the one hand, we want to do deals, but on the other hand, we don't want to fail at what we're doing because we can't manage what we have. So that's our ongoing, uh, our going experiment for me, Lane. Yeah. So maybe a, a two week experiment also, maybe something a little more fun. I know me personally today, I mean, I'm going to record this with video and just see how that goes for a couple of weeks. There you go. Yeah. I love it. There's always YouTube and Facebook. Any other uh, kind of smaller, smaller tweak, maybe something fun that you're trying out? Trying fun. Well, we're very fun. It's, every year we try to figure out where, what we're going to do for vacation. Yeah. What do the Blanc family want to do? And we haven't decided yet, but when we, when we go, when we go, we want to stay for a month or two in some other place. So really just kind of proving the fact that not only can we take some time off, but we can work virtually anywhere. Uh, and you're obviously doing it in, in Hawaii, which is nowhere near where any of the deals are. Right. And so that's kind of, that's kind of fun. So, you know, a two week experiment for us is, you know, where do we want to go next, next year? We like doing home exchanges. Uh, my, my, my family lives in, in Germany still. And so we might uh, spend a month there or so. So that's on the funner side. Since you asked, that's kind of what we're going through right now. Yeah. So maybe get a little more imaginative here. What's your uh, simple passive cash flow number that you're shooting for that aspirational number and describe your ideal day, detailed routine, what projects you'd be working on at that point? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, Lane, it's no longer really about the money. Uh, it, it's, um, so it's, it's now more about making an impact. And, and I've been here before through my software IPO, right? I've experienced what, what it is like to have a lot of money, but the difference between now and then was, you know, back then it was really only about me. I really tried to, you know, and, and let's say, let's say I include my family in that. Okay. It's like me and my family, but it's still very, very self-centered. Right. And through the, uh, the, 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 the experiment, the experiment, the failed experiment with the restaurants, I really became more aware of, you know, I'm put on this earth, not just to be, to, to take care of myself and my family. There's gotta be something more. And if so, what, what is that? Right. So for me, for me really, it's about helping people become financially free. And the reason for that is because if I try to have a conversation with you about living a life of purpose, you're like, Michael, what the heck are you talking about? I'm working 50 plus hours a week. I come home, I put the kids to bed, I crash in front of TV, I get up, do it again. And then the weekend I run errands and maybe I have a few hours to, to relax so I can have the energy enough to do it all again Monday. What in the world are you talking about a life of significance and purpose, right? So what I'm finding as people that are working, which is the breadwinners of family, there's no capacity in their brains for anything else, but really family and work. It's just a reality of life. There's nothing wrong with it, but it really prevents you from, from thinking about these things. Right now, on the other hand, if I can show you how you can quit your job, uh, and and I've interviewed a lot of these people, and some of them actually coaches on my team, 
they have a totally different problem. They're not going to work today. And their wife's like, why are you here at two o'clock in the afternoon? And they're like, you know, they're like, and they're struggling with their sense of purpose now because they don't hurry to several months. And then all of a sudden they start thinking higher thoughts. They start thinking, you know what? I don't need to work anymore because I have my income covered through, through the multifamily stuff. What, what am I also going to do now? And they start thinking about blogging or a podcast or coaching other people or uh, volunteering their time more. And how, what can I do to make this world a better place? Right. And so my thought is if more people were financially free, the world would actually be a better place. And so that's kind of, that's kind of what gets, gets me excited. So not really more about the money. It's kind of a way to keep score a little bit, but now it's more, more of a, more along an impact thing. Yeah. Awesome. I know like simple passive cash flow. the tagline is the passive cash flow. That's the, that's the easy part, but the hard part is what do you figure out? What are you going to do after that? And that's, that's kind of what I've been trying to do too. And I, I well, I, I think that's a, you know, maybe take us back to your IPO day. I mean, you had, you had this money, you're a little younger. Maybe what, what did you learn from that experience that, that you, you're drawing upon now? Well, a lot of things, uh, but let me ask you, let me comment on your, on your, on your first thing is that you, everybody has certain goals at certain different times and time. When you, when you're working a W2 job, your goal is to quit that job right? You don't, you're not concerned about anything behind that, right? So when I talk to people, they don't, they don't, they're like, don't talk to me about living a life of purpose. Talk to me about quitting my job, right? So that is your first goal. You, so in order to achieve that, you want to try to minimize your expenses on the one hand and then increase your passive income on the other. If you can do both, you'll accelerate the timeline, right? So, so reducing your expenses, your living expense, and maybe uh, doing the Dave Ramsey of course, you know, the uh, Peace University or something, whatever he has, he's a really good way of reducing living expenses. That's a really meaningful way to get to uh, quitting your job faster, right? So doing that and then building up multifamily uh, passive income, on the other hand, really allows you to accelerate, accelerate that. So that should be everyone's first goal is reduce their, their expenses uh, so that at one point they can quit their job if you want to. And that's a comment on, on, on yeah. most people's goals at that, at that point. I think the, um, the analogy on that is, uh, you know, if you're, if you're summoning a summit, you don't see the summit when you get to that first peak or the second peak or the third peak. You know, once you get to the next peak, there's always that next summit to get to. And, and then- yeah, and, and don't concern yourself about the summit afterwards. Just, just look at the summit ahead of you, right? And so, you know, in setting goals, the smaller you can set your summits, the more achievable those are and you have more, a, a more frequent series of successes, right? So, you know, in the case of becoming financially free, which is great. And, you know, I, I have found now in interviewing five dozen successful entrepreneurs that from the moment you decide that you're going to pursue a multifamily strategy from that moment, and when I say decide, you really truly decide, you're not lying to yourself. From that moment, it'll be a maximum of two to three years and you will have covered your living expenses, like literally without, uh, without any kind of uh, exception to the rule. Very, very, very few and fasted. So it's so universal. I call it the law of the first deal which says that um, if you buy a deal of any size, any multifamily of any kind of size, you will be financially free in three to five years. Actually, it's much less than that. I just kind of do it to be a little more conservative. But it's a decision point to go after multifamily today is the material difference that allows people to quit their jobs. And that's what's really powerful. So that first peak you're talking about is not actually quitting your job. The first peak is doing your first deal. That's the first peak. And that's something that you can do in three to 12 months, let's say it's 12 months, let's say it's a little longer, it doesn't really matter. You're on a you know, two to three year retirement plan. Let's say it takes you 18 months to do your first deal. You can, I can almost guarantee that you can do your second deal in the next six months and the third deal and the six months after that. 
And because they get progressively bigger, most people will have covered their expenses uh, uh, until that point because of the momentum keeps them going and they keep going bigger and bigger. So that's really very exciting is that first peak really is the first deal. That's what I advise people to focus on in the realm of quitting their job with real estate. Yeah, I'll say that it probably took me the 18 months, but from the time I dropped the 30 grand for mentorship and, and that at that point, you're exactly right, a year from that point on. That, and that was when the decision was made. Right. And when was the decision made for you though? From that 18, 18 months prior to that? You know, that for that, in that 18 months, probably the first six months was just kind of drifting. Just right. kind of dabbling, still doing what I'm doing. Never really, uh, never really committing to anything. And I see a lot of people doing that. They're, they're, they're looking at assisted living facilities, looking at mobile home parks. They're doing everything and they haven't bought anything at that point. They're just looking. They haven't decided. Right. And I haven't studied this in great detail. Your strategy is a little different because your strategy right now is raising money for multifamily deals for, for other syndicators, which is we've started doing that on our side as well. We're working with people like you and I look forward to working with you on that as well. But it's a really, and I haven't run the numbers exactly yet, but my census from having done this for, for several months now is that I bet you the, the math works very similar over a syndicator who does subsequently larger deals is that, uh, is that you can probably cover your living expenses in probably two or three deals, assuming you raise all the money for those progressively larger deals. Um, I will bet you that, uh, that you're going to get darn close with that strategy you're doing the same way. And it, it's the same thing. It's the law of the first deal. You do your first deal, you know, you raise your first $300,000 for someone else's deal. Well, the next raise is probably going to be more than 300. It might be like 500, right? And the third one is probably going to be a million dollars because you have all this momentum. You have this track record. You have this confidence now. And all of a sudden, you're raising a million dollars on your third deal. And you're like, ah, how did I get here, right? And, and once you raise a million dollars, well, at that point, you know, I mean, the sky's the limit at that, at that point. Uh, and you can write your own ticket. So it's very similar, I think, on the money raising part. Um, because of the, the principle is the same thing. It's a really hard, that, that giant domino, the first deal is really hard to do. Raising the first $300,000 is so hard to do. You really got to hustle. And once you do, my gosh, it's like, it's like you become a money magnet after that, right? It's like people are like, oh, he did this deal. Wow, he's got track record, man. He knows what he's doing. All of a sudden, you're starting to track capital and it just happens like almost automatically. Right. Yeah. So guys at home, listen to what Michael's talking about because it's not oogity boogity. It's see this happen again and again and again. And whether it's raising money, doing a multifamily apartments or just buying your first deal, it's just once you burn the boats and you decide what you're going to do, that's when things start to happen. So Michael, let's go back to that original question. Once we got on, we got on that, that, uh, that trail, you know, you're, you're working, you're, you had your IPO, you had a lot of money and you're kind of living that life for a little while. What kind of takeaways that you just, it wasn't worth it. That wasn't the path you kind of used to build what you're trying to create now. So there's, there's several things that I learned and how to overcome, even though at the time I had a bunch of money in the bank that kind of gave me a cushion, right? It gave me a margin for error. But the first thing, there was still an enormous amount of fear involved in quitting my job. I mean, when you're working, you know, if you've worked 20 years of your life, you're like, not working, I can't wrap my head around that, right? That was a huge fear. Uh, and I had to remind myself why I was doing that, because if I could achieve permanent financial freedom, I didn't ever had to work again. That really kept me going and helped me overcome that fear. And then once I, I overcame that fear, at that point, you know, I just had to make it work. And what I then learned that I didn't know before was that I, I don't, I'm not in control anymore. All right. Now, someone else might be in control, but it ain't me. And so getting over that, because I had always been in control over my, really, honestly, with everything I've done, uh, my, my studies, my career, you know, promotions, uh, my things I could do that I was gifted, you know, God, God gave me, 
I just, I've always controlled my outcomes. And as soon as I left uh, with house flips and especially the restaurants, I found I could control very little. I did all this stuff. I did what I always needed to do, but I, the outcome wasn't there. I was like, what the hey? You know, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm doing all this marketing. Why aren't people coming into my restaurants? Well, because I don't control that. And it really, uh, it was very disheartening. And, and so after you know, a couple of years of that, I finally learned that, you know, I needed to give up that level of control because I don't control it. And the other thing I learned also is when things started getting really bad on the restaurants and early on that first apartment building deal didn't go very well. Also, uh, it was very stressful to the point where, you know, there, I no longer had money. And my lesson there was to be at peace with your circumstances, regardless of whether they're good or whether they're not good. Uh, because again, you don't control your circumstances. And I had grown very fond of my money lane. And it was uh, very painful to see it go away. And um, I had to learn to let go, frankly, and to be at peace with it. And I fought it. I fought it for a long time until a point where I was like, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm doing the best I can. Obviously, it ain't good enough. It's out of, out of my control. And I need to be at peace with that. Uh, and then the fourth thing really is it's not about me. It's about, you know, it's about others. And how can I, how can I serve others? So, right. There you are in a nutshell. About giving back and... Hopefully, people can uh, glean some of that, that uh, experience. But I think a lot of people have to go through it, right? I think that's what I'm trying to trying – to, hopefully, I don't have to go through that experience, too. That's right. You can learn from, from, from uh, guinea pigs like myself and, and others. And I just think that also is – I think your mindset, if it's, if it's more about serving others, and this is where I was a bit misguided uh, early on, I think humble heart is. Like when I, when I started the blogging thing and the whole thing, I wasn't actually started with make, I, I didn't think about it. It wasn't a business plan. It, I wasn't going to lead into, into uh, you know, online training and coaching and, and a business, right? It was simply, how can I try to help serve other people? And I think if, if, if you can just develop a mindset of, of how can I serve people, the rest will follow. I think it, it follows auto, almost automatically. But again, it comes from a place where you've let go of stuff, right? If you let go on the, on, on money, I need this money. I need this job. I need it so badly because if I don't, I'm going to fail and I'm going to lose my house and I'm going to, I'm going to lose my, my self-worth, right? Uh, if you hold on to it, it's very difficult for you to serve, uh, because you haven't let go yet. And so I'm a, maybe a slow learner, uh, and I've had to learn that. And there's others who don't have to go through that. They just, they naturally, intuitively, uh, they, they get to that point faster. And frankly, they live a, a life that's much more fulfilled much sooner. And it, and I'm a little frustrated by my own journey uh, because it took so long. Uh, but again, we're all, we're all in a work in progress. Some, some, some figure it out sooner, some later, some never do. So, you, you know, you just got to do the best you can. Yeah. I think a lot, a lot of people, you know, are talking to me, Oh, I want to make my own podcast to, you know, do a syndication or, or do multifamily. And I'm like, well, if you're, if you got that attitude, it's going to suck, right? Cause like, you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. That's right. It's you definitely going to suck. You see it all the time, right? These guys making these online courses of how to flip homes. I mean, it just it just sucks. It's just like it's obvious. I guess the next question here for you, Michael, is uh, something that you recently thought about burning your cash on for a time savings or improvement in quality of life. Yeah, it's a, that's a thing, right? So, um, you know, in the beginning, you're doing everything yourself and you're starting to make more money and you like the idea of making more money. But then it comes to the point where um, – you know, it, it does, it does become about time, right? So you could do everything in a business and in the, in the beginning, it's just you, right? You don't have money coming in that maybe you can afford to pay someone to do it. But you know, the first person that I hired was a virtual assistant 
And that really improved my life a lot because it eliminated a lot of the, 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 the things that were repetitive or administrative in, in nature. Um, and, and so for, for me, the next level is more of a project manager, is someone who can manage projects. So the difference is, you know, some a virtual assistant, you can tell them, you know, do these 10 steps uh, and, and they can do them remarkably well. Uh, and a project manager is, look, I want you to organize this event here's kind of what I'm looking for. And they figure out all the details and they kind of do it. Right. And they kind of evolve you. So it's a different that level as, as well. So, you know, uh, if, if I organize my own event, obviously there's no one better in the world that can do it except for me. Right. But is that the best use of your time? All right. Or, or is your best use of your time, you know, reaching out uh, and getting new podcast guests so you can provide more value to your, to your, to your audience. Is it, uh, is it maybe uh, building out the infrastructure of, of Nighthawk so that I can accommodate more students and I don't have to kind of throttle that, right? It's, it, can I make my, my coaching program better so that it impacts more people uh, uh, more efficiently, right? What can I do there to, to improve the impact? And so you're constantly asking yourself, what is my, my highest and best use of my time? And it changes over time. Just because you were doing this activity 12 months ago doesn't mean that you should be doing it today, uh, for example, right? So it's, it, really is, it really is time versus, uh, versus money a lot of the times. And sometimes it's a chicken and egg problem, right? Some, so you, you definitely need money. If you're going to hire someone, well, you need to pay that person. So sometimes it can be a little unnerving to bring on a virtual assistant that might cost you $300 a week. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not even making that right now. I got to take it out of pocket or whatever the case may be right? And, and making that investment. Um, but every time I've done it, and as well as when I talk to other people about that, while it may be a little stressful and you might be anxious over that, it all of a sudden frees you up uh, to do higher level activities that you can't delegate at the time. Yeah, I've kind of got into that point where I'm paying, you know, that, that $10 an hour employee to do that sort of stuff. And yeah, it's kind of, it's hard paying the three or 400 bucks a month to, to do that because, you know, it's not like I have, I'm like not doing, I guess I am doing stuff a lot of the time, but there are times where I could probably be doing that stuff and saving the $400, but that's the, the complete opposite thing, which well, you should. What be do you use your assistant for? You know, doing the show notes and doing stuff like that. You know, I still edit the podcast and do all that kind of stuff, but um, you know, doing those kinds of activities, my bookkeeping and stuff like that, taking that stuff up. But you're, yeah. so right now you're trying to find that, that next level, the $25 employee to, that's right. That's just kind of, kind of where I am. And, and, you know, and down the road, I might, you know, I'd be looking for a president. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. So someone that's, that's, uh, that's compensated at a much higher level it, and it really, it changes. And I think uh, the, the, you have to be sensitive to where you are in your business. You know, if you're just starting out, you don't have money coming in. Well, you don't, you can't afford to buy to hire someone. You're going to do everything yourself. Right. And, uh, and, but then being sensitive to that, you know, once I have some money coming in, where do I reinvest it in the business? Because, you know, because it, it helps me grow. And if you don't do that, it actually keeps me where I am. Yeah. I think that's something that I've, I've uh, definitely talked to a lot of business owners, especially in my mastermind about, you know, we get the, uh, the five, $10 an hour virtual assistant to start working, but then realize they, they not, they're not very good. They don't do the things that we thought they were going to do. And, you know, just shoot. We, that's why all these companies have like, paid full-time salary employees, right? To do the hard stuff for them that, you know, a virtual assistant can't do. It just seems to be that natural progression. Mike, what's something that you recently changed your mind on? You know, I I have a lot of calls with um, the folks that call into my show uh, and something that I always kind of take away and improve myself is 
always having an open mind because some people are just very, they're very tough to talk to. They just don't want to listen, not willing to change their thoughts and they don't own any real estate, right? So how the hell are they coming up with these opinions? But some people are very open-minded and I've kind of been doing this for a year and you, know, you guys can still book a, a free call with me and and I've seen like a year later, they're like, yeah, I bought like this guy yesterday. He was like, I bought a turnkey rental, but now I'm doing mobile home parks. I joined a mentorship group and now I'm off and rolling. Thanks. One of the first things I looked into getting away from Wall Street were the many crowdfunding sites out there. But I just was not into paying another middleman to give me a false sense of security and then take a chunk of the profits from the operator and me, the investor. Check out simplepassivecashflow.com backslash len or text the word money to 314-665-1767. These lending opportunities are exclusive to Simple Passive Cashflow listeners to power operators I trust and will put my brand on the line with. Again, for more information, check out simplepassivecashflow.com backslash lend or text money to 314-665-1767. Like, so what's something maybe in the last... Um, you know, pretty recently in the last few months that, you know, you, you've kind of changed your mind on. Because when I talk to you, you're very open, you know, very open to talk to. And, and that's a sign of a successful entrepreneur. Yeah, I changed my mind probably uh, about small apartment building deals. So I, I'd say in the beginning, uh, up until, you know, six, six months ago, I was really poo-pooing the idea of small buildings, right, for obvious reasons. Uh, but I've observed the power of the duplex. Yeah, the no man's land in terms of lending and... Doesn't matter. It's, it's meaningless. Yeah, yes. There are inefficiencies. There's, no, there's right. no doubt that going big soon is the way to go. But you also can't refute the importance of that first duplex. And I see it over and over again. In fact, most people who now have hundreds of units and have quit their job in two or three years started with a duplex, despite perhaps uh, my opinion or even my counsel right? They did it anyway and look where they are now, right? Now, could they, could they have fast-tracked themselves? Probably. Could they have signed up with a, with a coach that got them to an 80 units right out of the gate? Yes, of course, okay? But if I can't convince you to part with ten, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 and I can't convince you, I can't push your comfort zone so fast that you can get your, wrap your head around an 80 unit, you know what? Before you give up, do a freaking duplex, okay? Really, because it's been so transformational and so many people that I've talked to that I just can't do. I, I will push you, Lane, to do a bigger deal. I will, I will make the arguments for it. I will arm you with information. I will push your comfort zone with a variety of techniques that we've built up over time. But the, at the end, of the, end, the end of the day, before you throw up your hands and go, no, I can't do this, do a smaller deal. Because that, that deal, that duplex deal, that quad or whatever you do, will actually kick off the law of the first deal and literally, the second deal will not be a duplex or a quad. It'll be a 10 unit. And after that, it will most likely be a 20, 25 unit. After that, it'll be a 50 unit. And after that, you know, the sky's the limit at that point. You'll do, people do whatever, whatever size after that. So that's probably the thing I've changed most of my, my opinion on is the, uh, the, the importance of the duplex. All right. Well said. Well said and great example. In the seller's market, what are you, uh, what are you saying that new people to invest in? Uh, something that you know, doesn't have that substantial level of cash flow, nor uh, very much money, maybe like 30 grand, 40 grand in the bank. Oh, so what, if someone only has 30 grand in the bank, what, they should, what should they invest in? Yeah, especially in the seller's market where a lot of people are thinking to themselves that you may be at the top. Most people that sign up with me or that bring me deals don't have that much money, okay? Some do. 
but most have maybe $10,000, just enough to pay for any educational program, seminar or mentorship program, whatever else. Really, I would use that money for that, okay? Because that's, that's gonna, literally going to change your life. Uh, and then what you're going to do is you're going to raise the money and you're going to find the deals, okay? You don't need either, you don't need money to do any of those things. And, uh, and that's really empowering for, for people to do that. So, I mean, $30,000, I mean, even if you have a 10% cash flow, there's no way I can put my million dollars to work and, and go sit on the beach. There's no way. So I need to make it, I need, I need to, as we entrepreneurs do, we make stuff happen out of nothing, right? So the way we do that is we either find deals and, or we raise money, right? So you can do it either way, or you can do both of it. You can go out and find deals and people are doing deals as evidenced by the deals that are coming to our deal desk. But in this entire, in this market, you know, they're not going to fall into your lap. Deals aren't going to fall in your lap. It was like when I started flipping houses in 2005, hotter than hay. We weren't getting any deals on the MLS at all. And so we had to go uh, send out postcards. We had to put up bandit signs. We had to do all these things. Uh, and so that's the environment we're in now. You got to hustle. You got to talk to brokers. You got to network, right? So that's number one. And, and don't relax your underwriting uh, requirements. So, so don't, don't relax your rules. Don't t- take a lesser return or less cash and cash or pay a higher price. Don't do that. Uh, that's, that's, not, that's not called for. So the good news is that people are still doing deals, uh, but they're not falling in your lap. And, uh, and, and then raise money. And if, you, if you're better at raising money and you haven't found your own deal yet, fantastic. Then go find a syndicator and raise money for them. Deploy the money you've raised while you're still looking for your own deals. And when you do find your deals, go raise the money, right? So the, the two, whatever you have, money or deals or one or the other, if you have a deal, then bring it to my deal desk, right? Or bring it to another syndicator. My gosh, if you have a deal, that's great. You've analyzed it well. You've anal- you know, you're pre-negotiated. It's off market. That's value, man, right? So you get something that's valuable. If you have an investor, that's valuable, right? So you can monetize all those things. So that's got what I advise people. There's different ways that you can actually monetize that and build up equity. Yeah, and I think uh, you're still doing the, the Michael Blank analyzer on the website. Yeah, yeah. Right. Analysis right. Is, at the, is at the heart of everything, whether you're syndicating or whether you're uh, raising, uh, whether you're investing passively. So the last question here, Tony Robbins identifies two large concepts that we're continually showing the game perfection at. Uh, the first is the art of fulfillment, and the second is the science of achievement. So, Michael, if you died tomorrow and were to email this to your family to hear what you had to say, what's your first secret or hack to the science of achievement? Any habits, secret habits, morning, nighttime rituals? Anything there that kind of you point to as keys to success? Yeah, you know, I'll probably answer it differently than I did a year ago, a year before, or even a year from now. I think the biggest thing is that you're definitely a work in progress and that you continue to look at ways to get better at a, as a person, right? Both professionally and in every aspect, right? How, how can I do a better podcast? How can I ask better questions? What can I use better technology? Can I hire bigger, better coaches? You know, what can I do better? Are there any habits that I need to develop? You know, so I'm constantly reading books. You know, I'm constantly talking to people and I, and, and I capture these ideas and I look into them and I'm constantly innovating with myself. And I think that's probably been, you know, at least the heart of, of my success. And it's just you're constantly looking for ways to get better. And that's different for every single, you know, every, every single person, but it's constantly looking for ways to improve. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we had the, the podcast we, we recorded earlier than this. So we had mentioned about reflecting and uh, stop being a drifter and, and uh, taking control of what you have and you get a little more intuitive of which direction you want to go. 
So for the last question, Michael, what is your secret hack to the art of fulfillment? How do you contribute back? Uh, that's a good question. Again, I'm a work in progress with, with that. I, um, you know, I, I'm trying to contribute back with financial freedom right now through real estate because I think it's a, it's a big problem in our world, especially kind of, like I said, the conversations that you have with people and they're so consumed with work and drifting in life. Uh, and I'm not saying you need to be financially free to be intentional, but man, it really helps, right? So uh, not having, and this is primarily for the you know, primary breadwinners of our family is, is financial freedom and freedom in general is, is so important, I think, because it doesn't allow people to live intentional lives. So it's a lot more difficult to do that. And I think if we can live more intentional, the world will be a better place. So that's kind of my, my contribution to the, to the little matter of, of freedom and making the world a little better place. And I think money uh, uh, is, is, a, is a root cause of a lot of uh, unfulfillment in life. And I'm not saying more money will make you happier, but it's, it's, it's something that people need to address. And the more I talk to people, especially the working people, it just consumes our lives to the point and it's unnecessary. And then, and, and, and related to all the real estate investors who are, think they can get there with a certain strategy and, and, and I already know they can't. And that's frustrating to me. So I feel like I have a very strong message, especially to all real estate investors who are already thinking real estate. If you're not thinking real estate, you probably don't get it. I, you know, I, I'm not going to convince you real estate is a good thing to do, but if, if you think of real estate, I have a very strong message to you because I've been there before and I see it all the time and I just want to shake people and say, hey, wake up, man. You know, what you think, this strategy, you got, it's like that thing is you got the ladder up against the wall and you're climbing it up, you know, and you're climbing it up and then you get to the top and you, you figure out it's leaning up against the wrong wall. You know, maybe I can spare someone from doing that. If you're actually successful with that strategy, you'll realize that it actually won't get you there. Well, why waste time in the next five years, you know, trying it out if I can spare you some of that. So I feel I got a very strong message uh, around, around that. Um, I, uh, on a nonprofit side, I've been very involved over the last eight years with a mission in Uganda. Uh, it uh, basically, it's, you know, spreads God's love and improves quality of life in very, very remote communities in Uganda. And I met the founder of Paji a decade ago and I've been over there and I, I'm still on the board there. So I'm really, uh, really encouraged by what he has been doing over, over the years. And so uh, I'm really excited about that as well. All right. Yeah. And something to second there, the time is your most important resource, right? It really is. Putting your ladder on the wrong building to climb that is a big waste of time. It is. And that's people what, what they want. Like when I ask people what they want, it's not they want to be a millionaire. It's not that they want money. They, what they want is they want to control their time. That's what it comes down to. People want to control their time. That's what really at the end of the day people want because with the control of time becomes, uh, is, is what is, is freedom to people. And unfortunately, you need money for that. You can't, you can't ignore the money thing, right? Because you got to address it, right? And what's the, best way to, what's the best way to address that? All right. Anything we miss when they get your contact information, people to get a hold of you? Now, the best way to, for people to find me is uh, themichaelblank.com. That's T-H-E, Michael, B-L-A-N-K, themichaelblank.com. And one of the things that you can do there, I mean, I have a, a lot of uh, free blogs, YouTube channel, podcast. Uh, one good thing that people can do is download the free book. It's called The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. It really, hopefully, kind of will shift people's minds about what it involves to raise money. And uh, again, I share the secret on, on how, to, how to do that in, that in that book. And I think people will f- find it very, very interesting. So that might be a great uh, next step after listening to this. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Michael. Been a, no, my well, pleasure. It's been a great morning. Yeah. Thanks so much, Lane. Appreciate it. Bye. 
This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.